Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. As always, I'm your host, Jolene, and I have with me today my good friend, Audrey. Audrey, would you like to say hello? Hey, everyone. I'm Audrey. <laughs> and Audrey, how would you describe your gender right now? Um, I would say that I'm a girl. I think that's, that's pretty much all I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so let's, I guess, like, kind of, like, go back. Um, how did you sort of, like, how was gender present in your childhood? How did you kind of, like, I don't know, how, how, yeah, how was gender present in your childhood? What was your existence as a gender being like from your sort of very small moments at the beginning of your life? I think that's a really sweet question, because I think, like, gender is present in childhood in a weird sort of way because it's like you know it's before puberty so people haven't like developed secondary sex characteristics and so like you almost get a bit more freedom and I think I definitely enjoyed that with like I had a pretty happy childhood I think and especially like I feel like that happiness was owed to the fact that like I was pretty effeminate as a kid I cut my hair really long and so it was like pretty standard for me to just be like gendered as a girl whenever I went like anywhere in public obviously my family didn't do that but I don't know I think that gave me a sort of like like impetus to not really think about those things because it was just like yeah like I guess I'm a boy whatever but it wasn't like like a boy didn't mean anything at that point because like all my friends were girls. I got to hang out with like my friends still. I think there was, sorry, I live like right next to a train. You're probably going to hear it going by. Anyway, like I got to enjoy a lot of like, I think like more like unsexed type activities in which I would just like hang out with women. I guess they weren't women if they were like five-year-old girls, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we got to have like a female social group. I got to like, I would always fight my mom about keeping my hair long and like we'd bicker back and forth about it. But at the end of the day, I got to keep it like pretty long. And so that made me happy. And I hadn't really gotten to the point in which like bodies started to differentiate from each other. So it wasn't something I thought very hard about, I guess, just because like, yeah, I was, I guess my gender was, like, a really feminine boy, and I was okay with that when I was, like, 12, because, like, I knew it could essentially be, like, de facto moving through the world as a girl. Like, not really, because I think I wasn't subjected to a lot of, like, misogyny that young girls often grow up with, but I was definitely not subjected to a lot of, like, male expectations, because I guess people just, like, knew... I guess I was fruity or like something was different so I knew that those expectations weren't going to really like um yeah I mean I just remember like <laughs> my dad would like sign me up for like sports classes it was like I think I was soccer when I was young and I used to just like sit in one corner of the field in the grass and be like the ball's gonna come over here eventually I don't really see why I have to run after it it was very like <laughs> I don't know, like, oh my God. painting nails emoji, but, and then I, like, did tennis, my dad wanted me to do tennis, and, um, 
I just like picked honeysuckle behind the field, which was really fun. So I had a pretty wow. carefree childhood, I think. Things changed when puberty happened, but I guess that was my gender when I was a kid. Did did adults ever like react to the fact that you were like um sort of like preferring like female predominantly female social groups or like yeah I mean I think that's like that was definitely something that happened to me a little bit it's I remember this happened to me when I was like so young my best friend in the whole world I guess I'm gonna dox her she was four her name was Olivia too and we were so close and like we were like besties and I always used to go over to her house and one day I think like I got to be a certain age and like people were just like oh are you dating like are you like in love and like I want to stress that like I think I was maybe in like first grade like I was tiny and so like it was just such like a I remember hating it as a kid because it was like it made it weird and it was something that I didn't think was weird it's like this like weird feeling as a kid of like doing something completely natural to you and then having someone else be like misreading it or like thinking it's weird and like I think when you grow up that like that kind of does a number on you because like you're really sensitive to what other people think of your activities when you're that young you know yeah yeah it's the the approval of others is 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 really important um always but I think especially when you're like I don't know. I feel like when you're young, you kind of like, there is like this internal sense of like, I don't really know how to do this yet. Like, I don't really know how to like be alive. And yeah, for sure. You assume that like everyone else has some better knowledge of it. And so you're like, okay, I should value what they're saying because they seem to be doing a good job of this. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, when, when you, when you like are confronted with, oh, fuck, maybe I'm not doing this right. Or that's like kind of how it feels. Yeah, and I think it's hard, too, because, like, I went, this is not super related, but tangentially related. I grew up, like, in Montessori classrooms, and I was, like, a Montessori student for, like, most of my life up until, like, high school. And I think that that, like, method of schooling is really centered around, like, allowing the child to lead their own education. And, like, I, I bring that up only because I think that it also, like, gave a certain degree of like power to the child and as much as like it's very unmontessori to critique what a child is doing with their time which is to say that like I think I grew up with a certain degree of like self-assuredness as a child because I was in that environment that definitely like enabled me to be very independent so I think that it didn't really get to me I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it did get to me in a way that I internalized it, but I didn't, like, cut my hair because people wanted me to, which, like, they did, but, like, I didn't. Or, like, I didn't, like, I mean, I didn't, like, stop hanging out with my friends. I think it was also just because, like, like, that was kind of an environment where everyone was a little different, and so it was, like, more acceptable, I guess. Because, like, Montessori is also kind of, like, it's not always hippie, but it's, like, alternative education, so you get some, like, pretty hippie people in there, so I guess it's, like, I didn't have, like, a, like, rigid public school, like, bully crowd until I, like, okay. got older, 
so I was like afforded a certain degree of like being able to be lax with how I like performed gender I don't know right no okay that makes a lot of sense um and I, I feel like you've you've mentioned a few times now like the things start to change when you're um when you, when you get to sort of like I think at one point you said like puberty and then like um, there you mentioned like sort of like high school then as being like the point when you stopped attending Montessori so like what what all sort of like happens um, I guess sort of like how is how does the transition out of this era of your life go yeah I mean I think that honestly before anything else what happened was I was like 12 and I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease which is like an irritable bowel disease it's autoimmune, it's all thing, but I had it really bad. And I think it was able to get so bad because I guess I should have also said, I grew up really, I guess, mm, what's the correct word for this? Like, I would not necessarily consider myself someone on the autism spectrum, but I grew up very in accordance with that to a certain degree because I was not really good at socializing. I was really, really into like a couple of specific academic things. Like I learned to read like before I could talk and I was like super into reading and would always like, like I taught myself to read with like the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. And so that was like my favorite thing in the world. But then also I had like severe food restriction, food restriction and would like only eat very specific things and so I think for a while they just like thought my stomach problems had to do with like oh because I was not eating vegetables or something but it got to a point where I had some stuff that was really traumatic happen and I got admitted to the hospital and they were like yeah you have Crohn's disease and so that diagnosis really hit me before puberty did like right as puberty hit me because like Crohn's usually is onset with um either the beginning or the end of like your hormonal life so usually like at puberty or at menopause so anyway um I guess like my first memories of like that transition out of childhood was like very clearly an environment in which my body was like actively revolting against me which would really set the tone for like the rest of my life because you know I mean like an autoimmune disease is quite literally the body attacking itself and so I went from a childhood in which I could really, I suppose, enjoy a certain like comfort and familiarity with my body into like kind of like very zero to 100, a life in which my body was like actively harming me. And I felt very alienated from it, even before like puberty actually hit. Okay. And... Well, so, so how does that, I mean, like, how, I guess, like, how does that play out socially? Does that play out socially? Is there, like, a sort of um, effect of that on, like, how you're kind of existing in the world and how you're relating to other people? Or is that just sort of, like, your kind of internal? Um, oh, yeah, it totally had an effect because, I mean, for most of my, like, preteen, I guess, like, 12 to, like, 15, I was in and out of hospitals, like, monthly. And so I was set apart in a way that felt very, like, real socially. 
And so I bring that up only because it also tied into like gender in the sense that like, not only like, I guess the elephant in the room in the room is that I was removed from like traditional rituals of gender because at that point I started realizing that I was trans, but even before that, and in a way that was like very public, I was removed from those rituals of gender because like, I was just always sick and I was always like, I had a lot of chronic pain then and I had a lot of like, I was just dealing with a lot of shit. And so I couldn't do a lot of things that my friends were doing. So, but yeah, I guess I bring that up because I think like the way in which, the way in which I learned I was trans and the way in which I learned I was chronically ill happened at a very similar time and kind of had the exact same theme of like, realizing when I was young that my body was like turning against me in a way that felt really traumatic which is to say that like like to me I think going through puberty felt exactly like being diagnosed with Crohn's disease because when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease like suddenly I was growing up and my body was hurting it was becoming grotesque in a way that like felt wrong to me it felt like something was happening inside of me that like I didn't want to happen and the exact same thing happened with puberty because like I started growing up and that started to like remove a degree of the like I don't know like peculiar type like youth femininity and neotennis like things that a lot of like feminine men enjoy and so like I lost that to a certain degree and I realized how much I really liked that as soon as I started to lose it and I started like you know I mean like I started growing hair on my body and like that felt really scary and like I mean I'm sure that feels scary to every young man but like I don't know I think that felt particularly scary to me and I just get like so neurotic about it because like I'm also Jewish and like Italian so like I grew a lot of hair and like that translated well okay also I also have had OCD for my whole life and so especially I think going through puberty my OCD really kicked in and I started to develop these like compulsive rituals around self-grooming which is to say like I needed to shave all of my body I needed to be completely hairless like the second I started growing hair and like that was a very compulsive way for me to like feel as if I was exerting a degree of control over a body that was like starting to do things that I really didn't want them to do. Like I didn't fully have the language to externalize that yet, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. When did you, you said that you sort of start to realize that you're trans around the same time that you, around the same time that you get diagnosed with Crohn's? Um, It was a little later. I think I got diagnosed with Crohn's when I was like, like 12 or something and I think I started to really like realize I was trans when I was like 14 15 okay because like I mean I think realizing I'm trans is kind of like a shaky boundary I had all the words to describe that I didn't want to be a boy when I was younger than 15 but I didn't know what trans people were back then or like I didn't have a full view of like what identity options were available to me and so I didn't really like start identifying myself as like I am transgender until I was like middle of teenage years just because like 
then I started to like compulsively research that stuff. So I guess it probably would help to like go through the stages of that, like more. In yeah, depth. yeah. I, I was going to ask if you wouldn't mind. Um, I guess yeah, kind of unspo unspooling that for us. How did that sort of realization come about? How did that go? Yeah, of course. So I mean, I think really what hit me first was compulsive dis discomfort with my body. Right, and, as you were saying. Yeah, and so that was always bound up in my OCD. And so I had like rituals, you know, like I had to like flicker the lights on and off 15 times before I went to bed or I'd become more masculine, you know, or like I had to walk to the left of a pole every time I passed it. And I still do this one because like if I didn't, like I'd grow up to become insert random like super male figure in the world and so it was always like I didn't want to like grow up into a man that was always what bothered me about it was like imagining myself as a like a capital M man in the future and that really unsettled me and so um I would do all those things and so I was like 13 and a half I guess like around that era what age are what grade are you when you're like 13 or 14 um I think that's like eighth grade maybe okay, and that times up perfectly because I know what grade I was in and I was in seventh grade maybe like oh gosh mm -hmm. I sorry um maybe like seventh or eighth grade yeah like I think it was really seventh grade um where that started to happen and um yeah, I mean, I just had that, that discomfort with my body. I mean, I had the discomfort earlier. Sorry, I'm, like, realizing. I'm, like, the worst person ever with ages and, like, children's grades. So if I organize this by grade, it's a lot easier for me. I was diagnosed okay. in, like, fifth grade, maybe, like, sixth, I think, fifth, sixth. You were diagnosed with which thing in fifth grade? Crohn's. I was Crohn's, like, okay. And so that started to, like redo the timeline that happened around then and then um basically when I started going into they called it the adolescent program in Montessori but equivalent to middle school when um I started to really feel I guess this like gender discomfort with my body I would do all that I mean I feel like I, I had a pretty like standard diagnostic criteria for GID I would try on my mom's heels I would like but it was the thing about that is it was always fearful like I don't know that's the part that bothers me about like oh like classic autogynophilic behavior to like wear mom's underwear or something like that was not me I think like a lot of my experiences with like cross-gender or like cross-dressing when I was young were marked by like a profound fear of like oh gosh, I, like, I really do not, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, what if my father finds out, which my father will come up eventually. But what was I saying? Um, classic diagnostic criteria for GID. Yes. Um, so around that time, I started displaying a lot of those behaviors. I feel like I remember you talked about this on your podcast episode, but like the thing where you like, hide your genitals between your legs that's a classic and yeah. then I did that and then right around this era when I was in like eighth grade I think this is a classic story of mine you may have also even heard it before um 
So I went to a Montessori middle school and so there were like 10 people in my middle school and one of those kids named and he was generally not as liked by his peers. It's kind of weird, kind of a where's my hug guy type vibe, I think. And um, my mom was like, you should have a play date with Duncan. And I was like, I don't know if I want to have a play date with Duncan. And she was like, it's too late. I already called his mom. You're going to have a play date with Duncan now. And so I went over to his house and it was kind of awkward because it's like, I'm not really friends with him. And I'm like, hey, like, what do you want to do? And he's like, oh, we can watch a movie together. My parents are at home. And so we went up to his like little loft in the like, like ranch house or whatever. And he showed me Silence of the Lambs. And I was in eighth grade, I guess. And I watched the scene where Buffalo Bill tucked his genitals between his legs. And I was like, is that me? And that fucked me up for a really oh my long my fucking God. And, well, that was also, I think, that coincided with, and I guess this was eighth grade, when I started to get really into, like, compulsively researching gender variants. And, like, sorry, the train is coming by again. And, because um, I think at that point, I started to be, like, become experienced, become experienced. I started to be subjected better word to portrayals of trans people in media and you know this was pre-turning point so my portrayals in trans people in media were we watched the ending to Ace Ventura Pet Detective in my class once you know like those just endings. the ending no I mean we watched the whole movie but oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> imagining them showing just like a group of middle schoolers and <laughs> no but like my first experience to trans people was the butt of jokes, you know, the butt of jokes or serial killers. So right. that booked me up. And then my second experience with trans people was I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I think I'd identified these types of people as like, they're doing things that I do. I don't even think I'd identify it as like, oh, I'm just like them. Like, oh, Buffalo Bill just like me for real, for real. Like it was more concern of like oh i'm doing those things too like am i bad am i going then, to am i going to end up like this am i going to yeah for sure and i think that's like, the sort of like way for me to grow up yeah exactly because i think i was very concerned about who i would grow up to be and then right I, well you you mentioned earlier like the sort of content of your compulsions being that like if i you know don't walk to the left side of this pool then like i'll grow up to be like I don't know, like you said, like some particularly like hyper-masculine figure, like, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, totally. or whatever. But yeah. you, did you, did you, did you not have like any kind of like positive, like, oh, I could be like this. I assume that you didn't. I mean, like I. Did later sort of... on in life. Like I'll, I think that's like part, I'm getting to that part of the story. Okay. Yeah. I mean, oh. that was because, because the, I, I brought that up because in the sort of context of like yeah seeing like silence of the lambs or ace ventura pet detective it's like i mean those figures are like that's like sort of like damaging to a young person like no matter what i think um but like lacking any kind of like bulwark against that um sorry like you you can continue where you were at yeah sorry so i guess what i was going to say is like from that place of like, I guess, realizing that people had cross-gender identities. I was a really nerdy child. I loved to read. I, I guess I said that before, but like, 
my answer to everything was to look it up in the library. And so I looked it up in the library and I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. And so my library was in South Carolina and I found J. Michael Bailey and Blanchard and like that type of sexologist. And so that was like, I don't want to say it was my Bible because I didn't agree with it, but you know, that was the first time that I saw something like I'd heard someone say that you could be trans, you know, like they said it in an extremely disparaging and condescending way, but they still said it, you know? And so that was like, my guess, my introduction to like trans identity, which needless to say has really fucked me up. But regardless, I went from there and I think I felt dissatisfied with a lot of what I was reading in there, but also I think it's also worth mentioning. So I grew up with my mother and father. My father is a very like hardline Republican type. Like I remember like one of my most like formative memories of learning about trans people was him driving me to work in his like huge ass pickup truck, blasting the Rush Limbaugh show and watching Rush Limbaugh call like Caitlyn Jenner a faggot or something. Or like it wasn't, this was pre-Caitlyn Jenner. Like Honestly, I probably wasn't even a trans person, but just like him calling anyone he thought was like an effeminate male, like a tranny or something. Like that was like part of how I was introduced to what that was. And so um, that, sorry, I almost knocked over my perfume samples. Um, That reading Blanchard and reading, it was really Dane Michael Bailey a lot, um, felt like it like coincided with a lot of what I'd heard from my father. And so it felt like, if not accurate, it felt like I was tapping into some bank of knowledge, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that was like, yeah, I mean, my, it's needless to say a pretty like potent cocktail of like teaching a child how to perform self-loathing, but it was, it was interesting because I didn't, you know, I didn't think of those things as bad in the way that I do now like I thought of them as bad in as much as they made me upset but I didn't think that they were bad I thought that I was bad and so anyway to get to like a happier place I was still like I was consuming all that media and then I think I got to a point maybe like 15-ish when I got on Tumblr and that was like my shit you know, because I was like friends with a bunch of like future trans masks, current Fujoshis, and like we would just like reblog Super Hulak gift sets on Tumblr. And that was really where I learned a more positive view of like trans identity because like, you know, it was like 2012 Tumblr. So there was also a view of a lot of different things, but I guess it gave me liberty to sort of like understand that what I was feeling was okay but I think even before that sorry I'm like talking a lot um what I was gonna say was like I'm amending this timeline because before I got into um like a lot of the sexologist research I also watched Roman Holiday which was like my favorite movie when I was a kid and I won't directly make that connection but you know and so it was that was really the first time I saw someone that I was like I could grow up to be that 
and it felt right, you know? And so I almost like, because I guess this was pre like any significant like trans people in media. And so like a lot of the icons that I looked up to in terms of like what I wanted to be were very inspired by like 60s fashion. I really loved like mod. I really loved like, I don't know, like French New Wave. I was kind of pretentious at that age. But like, that was really my first exposure to like a, a type of femininity that like, I wholly identified as like, yeah, this is me. This is what I want to grow up to. Like that sort, like, I don't know, the like gamine chic or like playful, flirtatious, like, and I think that was what attracted me to it was so much of the fashion in the 60s was boyish and had a certain like androgynous silhouette you know like like I was obsessed with Twiggy I was obsessed with like that type of being because it was something that I could look at my own body and be like yeah I could be that because also at this point I was extremely anorexic so okay I'm, I'm like dropping a lot of bombs let me like let me cycle back okay <laughs> yeah so amending the timeline even further when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I was severely underweight because Crohn's affected my GI tract and it was something that like, you know, I threw up all my food. I couldn't keep anything down. And so for a long time, basically since I was an adolescent, I grew up not really knowing how to properly eat. And so it was always just like food was something I associated with pain because of Crohn's disease. It was something that really hurt. And oftentimes eating meant that I would throw it up or my stomach would hurt or I'd get to a point where, sorry, I'd get to a point where um, it would hurt to eat. And my father was always the one who was trying to make me to eat more. And once I got to like that age where I was starting to have feelings of like wanting to reject a masculine trajectory for my life, like... Food was a way for me to exert control over my body, you know, because I was young and many things were happening to me that I could not control and did not approve of. Most importantly, I guess, a male puberty. But, you know, restricting my food intake was a way for me to, like, decide what happens to my body. And, I mean, I can't get out of the eventual trap, like, associating thinness with femininity. But... You know, for, for a while at the beginning, it wasn't even about that. It was just about controlling my body in like a very OCD way. And it was very like, I just wanted to be able to exert this degree of control. But then I guess it was really once I got exposed to that like mod 60s fashion that like it started to become like a gendered ideal, you know, that if I like could starve myself enough that I could like become twiggy. And I guess like the part of that was like, not that I would become thin, but that I would become a girl. Anyway, yeah, this is a lot. I'm going to give us some time to like actually talk about this instead of just going on. Yeah, I mean, we can sort of like work back through some of that. Um, geez, yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to think because there was so much there. Um, I told you I would like go on. <laughs> No, it's okay. It was it was good. It was it was worth going through. Um and I'm glad I let you go on. I guess you said it was it was Roman Holiday was the movie that's sort of like Yeah, I mean that was that was kind of my trans awakening because that was like Audrey Hepburn or 
Yeah. I mean, it was just that, that scene where she goes and she gets her hair cut and she like, has this like boyish chic about her. That's like a femininity. Like it's so deeply feminine, but it has this traces of masculinity to it. And it's like, it's boyish, but it's boyish in a way that's like playful and flirtatious. And it was like, oh my God, like it clicked, you know, because like so much of like what I aspired to in terms of femininity was like, it was something I knew was impossible. You know, it was it was something that I wanted, but I, I knew just as much as I wanted it that it would be completely impossible for me. And I saw that specific type of like femininity as embodied in like those like 60s, like boyish, androgynous, like gender fashion, which like by the time was pretty boundary pushing, but you know, it wasn't very boundary pushing up in like the 2000s, but that really spoke to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I sort of, um, yeah, there, there's like, you, you kind of need like a sort of like a stepping stone into, um, into sort of like imagining more things or into sort of like realizing like what's actually possible, I think, because um, the field of like what's possible is, I think, kind of appears uh, smaller than it actually is for for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to sort of like I'm trying to remember like where we're at like chronologically. Yeah, so. Basically, I think to recap, the trajectory of my life was basically like unsexed, like ethnic childhood, puberty, and chronic illness happened at the same time. Extreme alienation from my body, introduction to transphobic theory slash literature slash portrayals, then like questioning of identity, exertion of control over body compulsively through anorexia and like OCD compulsions, which I guess those were one and the same. And then I guess like I saw the light, which was like, you know, it was the light, but it also was something that I did sort of, it was self-deprecating as well because as much as I aspired to that type of femininity, I also hated myself for not embodying it. So, yeah, I guess that's where the timeline is now. And you, and then, so, and it's, where in that timeline is it when you start to think of yourself as trans? Is it, like? After, like, I watch Women Holiday, and, like, you know, I mean, it was, I think, I guess I'd like to ask a follow-up question. By trans, do you mean, like, I am transgender, and, like, I would say that? Or by trans mean, like, I want to be a girl? Because I thought I wanted to be a girl before I thought I was trans. Because right, I guess like <laughs> well, you you say like at some point you start like obsessively researching or like compulsively um like gender variants, right? Yeah, for sure. And I that's if I understand correctly, like that's born out of you in some sense like recognizing your own desire to be a girl. That was born out of the desire of me trying to like figure out what was wrong with me. Because okay. Back when, you know, my first introductions to transgender identity were really bad. And right, so like I is assumed it meant that something was wrong with me. You know. Right. So, so you're you're sort of like you watch like you're shown Silence of the Lambs, and then you're like, 
I have to figure out if I'm going to become a serial killer or something. Yeah, and it was less about, like, trying to absolve myself of, like, of culpability or, like, prove myself innocent of those crimes, and more just, like, you know, like, I knew I was whatever Rush Limbaugh was cursing off. I knew whatever I was, whatever my dad was making fun of, because it hurt really badly when he did it. And so I knew that meant that I was that. But I wanted to, like, figure out what that was, if that makes sense. Because, like, I don't know. I guess I just grew up in an environment where, like, you know, like, conservatism was, like, so all-encompassing that, like, I didn't, I didn't even think that this was not bad, you know? And, like, the real, my real introduction to, like, thinking about gender variance as something that doesn't have to be bad was, like, getting on Tumblr with all my friends, so, and that was, like, high school. Right. So, like, tell me a little bit more about, like, Tumblr and, like, sort of, like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's I guess awesome. like ending up with like a bunch of like Fujoshis or proto F- uh, FTMs or or what yeah, have you. For sure. I mean, I always joke that I'm trans mass socialized just because like, you know, when I was young, all my friends were girls. Like I had one friend and he was my neighbor. And like when I grew up, I naturally, I think, associated with the girls who were like a little different because I was also a little different. And then, of course, tales all this time, the girls who are a little different aren't all girls at the end of the day. And so I would just hang out with that crowd. And, you know, we all got into Tumblr at the same time. And it, you know, I mean, kind of, I guess, that you had to be there a moment. But, like, the spirit of, like, that era of Tumblr was so endowed in, like, unapologetic, like, recursive fandom that was, like, mired also in like gender variance and like you know like that was the first time I heard someone say gay in a way that didn't mean like like gay as in like stupid yeah and so it was like that was a whole thing and then also I I got really into like I don't know I just got really into like like yaoi and like the same type of media that my friends were consuming, which was all very, like, I guess, proto, like, autoandrophilia bait, which, like, was fun for me in a way. And so, like, I, I felt like I related to a lot of these people almost in an inverse way, you know? Like, they all wanted to be more masculine, and I wanted to be more feminine, but, like, it was kind of the same thing deep down. And so, like, I guess I just, like, became friends with a bunch of trans masks and we talked about like the 11th doctor kissing the 10th doctor which like you know that appeals to me oh yeah no I get that I get that okay so were you did you like sort of like at the time like you said that you'd like read like Blanchard and J. Michael Bailey did those theories but you also like thought that they were wrong did those theories like kind of carry through to like what you were doing in like a sort of self-conscious way or were you like were you were you spared that I guess Um. spared that only by virtue of like not interacting with other trans women for like a very long time okay well and like that was all trans mass people and none of those authors have a shit to say about trans mass people so I didn't know like any harmful theories about them so they were just my friends 
you know? And like, if I had grown up around more trans women, maybe my like young exposure to like Blanchard would have been more of a problem, but like it wasn't because like I could think of myself as AGP and like it wouldn't affect them because it wouldn't hurt them, you know? And I didn't yeah. want to hurt them. Interesting. But so wait, so did you think of yourself as AGP or? No, I mean, I, I thought of myself as AGP in like a self-derogatory way. Like I was insecure that I was AGP. Like, okay. But like but, not like sort of like a sincere, like. No, I mean, it was like very much something that like, you know, I developed compulsions around like, like that was really what happened was like after my exposure to a lot of that type of theory, my like OCD compulsions stopped being if you turn the doorknob 15 times, you'll grow up into a man. And it was like, if you turn the doorknob 15 times, your attraction to cross-sex identity is a paraphilia and you're no better than a pedophile, you know? And that was the kind of stuff I was saying to myself. Okay. Like, arguably much more harmful, but- Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it sounds like it. Oh my goodness. Um, I do but have I another- that was what I was learning from my environment, you know? Like, that was right. Like, as my father said, that was what, like, Rush Limbaugh said. Sorry. He was, Rush Limbaugh was such, like, an archetypal figure in my childhood. Like, I never knew what he looked like, but I listened to him every day because my dad drove me to school in his truck, and he played it. And so in my mind, he was, like, the ultimate arbiter of, like, my self-loathing. Anyway. <laughs> my, my, fa my, father's, uh, my father's guy was Michael Savage. Um, which, oh god, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like Okay, I have I have another question and this one is like kind of maybe inconsequential, maybe not, I don't know. Um but it's something that we've talked about privately before, which is that um and you're the only other person I've ever met that knows about this band. Um Fairy Boy slash like the official suckers. Yes. Black. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So wait, like, when did you, when did you find them? And like, how? I don't. Fuck. I don't even know if I remember how I found them. I found them on Tumblr. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I found them on Tumblr too, but I like yeah. can't remember I mean, I didn't exactly the like, exact circumstances. But I did find them on Tumblr, and that was definitely like. I'm trying to think of my first like exposure to like music that it was like, oh, this is about being trans of gender. Definitely yeah. that. Definitely Jordan Mason, like that whole vibe. Yeah. And um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I was the biggest Owl City stan in the entire world when I was young. Like, I was obsessed with him. Like, when he was on MySpace before Ocean Eyes even dropped, I was listening to Of June. I was like in the trenches. And he was like, I was very like, <laughs> Like, I was attracted to him, but I was also like, oh, he's, like, a sensitive guy. Like, I could do this. But it was also, like, I don't think I wanted to be him. I think I wanted to be with him. But regardless, my obsession with Owl City was, like, very intense in my childhood. And I have a lot of Owl City songs that was, like, yeah, this was about me being transgender. And, like, I listened back to it, and it's, like, this was about Jesus Christ. But... You know, whatever works. So I guess that was my trans music was like Super Honeymoon by Owl City. <laughs> oh my god. 
Okay, interesting. <laughs> interesting. So like so 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 you're you're sort of like you you have Tumblr sort of like I guess is is your sort of like this is like high school era, right? Yeah, this is in high school. And so how what's like going on like that's like what's going on sort of like your digital social life. Like what's going on in your like analog social life? Like what's going on with like you said that you like you stopped going to Montessori school, you were going to like a, a public school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to like a high school. Well, I'm obviously I went to high school in high school, but um I went to like a it was like a magnet school and so it was like kind of nerdy, but like in a very STEM way. So there were a lot of like STEM bros there. And so I just like had a friend group that was basically just like me and the like six other gay people at the school. And none of them were trans femme or really none of them were AMAB at all. And so it was just, I mean, honestly, my trans, my um, IRL social life and my digital social life were very similar. It was just me with at the Fujoshi table, like, but Okay. That was like, really meaningful to me, you know, like those are my closest friends. And like it informed the way in which I grew up because I think like, you know, like I got bullied in high school because, you know, at this point I knew I was like capital T transgender and I was like keeping clothes in the back of my trunk to like dress like more feminine when I went to school and I took them off before I got home because my parents would kill me. And like you know, that was my, like, awkward tranny era, like, because I was very, like, I just remember, like, I, oh, I used to, like, do my makeup on the, like, bus to school, and it was, like, so rocky, and I would be drawing, like, the shittiest winged eyeliner in the world, and, like, I was, like, listening to, like, Disintegration by The Cure, and it felt very, like, awkward, but I guess in an endearing teenager way, but you know, that was something that was very visible. You know, like, people knew I was different. I don't know how many of them knew that I was capital T transgender, just because, like, you know, I dressed femininely, but I never asked anyone to, like, use GR pronouns for me, because I didn't, like, feel it was my place to. So, I just, like, dressed pretty femme, and, like, you know, I I didn't really pass back then, I don't think. I mean, I, I'm really bad at gauging those kinds of things but I was very insulated because I had that whole group and they were very protective of me so I was to a certain degree like shielded from you know like I feel like that would have been a lot harder on me if my friends were a bunch of guys but like you know like they were wearing homestead merch to school like no one cared okay excellent um or I mean I guess I don't mean excellent in a you know that's a good sense but I mean like that's that's evocative um homestuck merch is um yeah wow so what's sort of like I guess like wh- where where do we go from from here like how yeah like like what what happens as you leave high school like how do you leave high school what's yeah for sure and I I think high school was really the point in which you know I I had this meeting when I was like eighth like I think it was like the summer before I was going to be a freshman in high school 
And it was a meeting with an endocrinologist who was like um, checking my like growth plates or something. Like I forgot what it was about fully, but it was like, it was making sure my like development was happening normally because like my development was stunted like pretty heavily because of Crohn's and also being a closet anorexic. And he was like making sure I guess my like bone density was okay or whatever. And I just like, oh, sorry, one moment. <laughs> You're okay. Um, and I just remember being in that room. Like I remember this so vividly. And I remember because I was like, gosh, how old was I if I was about to go into high school? Like, I told you I'm so bad with these kinds of things, but I was however old I was when I was about to go into high school. And at that point, I knew I was trans, but I, I didn't know about like, like I knew about HRT to an extent, but I didn't really know like where to start. And I mean, that was something that I wanted for so long, like before I even had a name for it, you know, like I always wanted like basically like puberty blockers because I was like, I want this to stop. And I just have the most vivid memory of like being in that room with the endocrinologist. And he was this like tall, like he was kind of handsome, but that had nothing to do with it. Like tall, like young guy. And I remember feeling this overwhelming urge to like tell him that I wanted him to make it stop. You know, like I wanted him to stop like what was happening to me and sorry it's kind of hard for me to talk about but it's okay I just I remember in that moment that I was like I have a choice to make you know like I because my, my parents were with me then and it was like I I speak up for myself right now and I risk the consequences of my parents knowing that there's something wrong with me and I tell him that I want it to stop and he helps it stop or I don't and I just accept that this is going to happen to me and by this I mean like a male puberty and I just remember being so scared of my father because I knew what he would do if he found out and I didn't say anything and I regret that today it's my biggest regret to be honest because that would have been my chance you know like I could have been on hormones and that would have changed everything because what happened after I graduated high school and really or what happens in high school and to a certain extent what happened when I graduated was so marked by the fact that I watched an unconsensual male puberty happen to my body and that is so excruciating and like I don't know how to explain how alienating it is like I mean I'm sure that you understand you know but like it it hurt all the more because I had words to describe it you know I knew what was happening to me and I knew how I could stop it and I didn't because I was scared you know and yeah. I you know my dad was forcing me to be closeted and we'd had conversations about this before where he strongly like 
implied that if there was something wrong with me in that extent that he would not support me and that like that was something that he would like put down to a certain extent and that really scared me because I was terrified of my father and that really was what most of my college and high school experience was marked by was realizing that I'm trans and trying to live as trans but going through so much effort to live like a double life and keep it secret from my father you know like I'd do my makeup on the bus and I'd wipe it off on the bus home and I'd keep a whole wardrobe in the back of my trunk and I'd like wear different clothes to school and I'd come back and I wouldn't say anything to my parents and they wouldn't know you know like I don't know how much my mom knew but I knew that my dad knew nothing and I would completely, you know, by then I was going by Audrey and all my friends knew me as Audrey, but he had no idea. And that was something I hid from him for years. And in college, you know, I had a certain degree more freedom because I was by myself, but I lived in the same city as he did because I went to this, like, my state school and I hid it from him still. And it was like the end of high school. I think it was this summer before I was about to go into college, I, um, you know, it got to the point where it's just like, it's so hard to live two lives and that it made both of my lives much more empty because of it. And I was like, I need to just get this over with and come out to my father because like, you know, like I was not under the delusion that he would like permit me to get HRT if I came out to him because I knew that he wouldn't but it was more just like I'm tired of having to hide this and so I came out to him with um I had a therapist at the time and I was like I was honestly just scared of him so I like used the therapist by proxy and like met with me him and a therapist and came out to him and it went really badly and he like I don't know, just like slept the fuck out, got like super violent with like my therapist and like I left and then I lived with my um close family friend, a mother of a close friend of mine for like a couple days and then I came back and we never talked about it ever again, you know? Like that was what happened. Like, that, that was the emotional underpinning of so much of my adolescence, was, like, being terrified of what would happen. But then, but then I did it, and it happened. And I couldn't get the feeling out of my head that, like, I wish I had just done this earlier. You know? Sorry, I didn't mean to get serious, but... No, the, this yeah. is what, that's what the show is for. This is the idea, is, is to be serious about these things, or at least, like, provide people the opportunity to be... Um serious so I'm, I'm sorry like how old were you when this happened when you had this meeting with your with your father and your therapist was this this was in college this was like at the end of i think it was like when i graduated from my school maybe okay like and senior or i was like yeah i think um and so you also mentioned in there that you you'd had people calling you Audrey for mm -hmm. some time before that. When when did that start? Um, when I got into high school. I mean, that was okay. really when I, if you count transitioning as like socially transitioned, that was when I started transitioning was in high school because so, 
But you, was gonna, or sorry. Well, I was just going. To, I was just going to. Ask, you like um. You you didn't was that wasn't paired with pronouns for you or or I don't know. Is it, like, it was. It was. Mm-hmm. Okay, like people, but people sort of got it. Like people understood that. Like yeah, I mean, I guess when I said earlier that I like didn't think it was my place to ask people to use different pronouns for me. It was my place to ask my friends to use different pronouns for me, but I would never, you know, like I would never correct anyone if they misgendered me and I still don't, but like that, I guess was more what I meant by that. So yeah, in high school, I was like, you know, it was like soft launching transition because like I was trans at school and I was trans in my social life and then I took it all off and I was obsessed when I was at home with my family. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, or I, I guess I understand that. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly can relate to that sort of expecting a blow up. And then, I mean, my, my own experience was not nearly as um, intense as yours, I think. And there's probably a variety of reasons for that, but, um, yeah, then then kind of being left with this feeling of like, fuck, what was I what was I scared of? Like, uh, yeah, it's like it would like, have been just as bad if I did it when I was fourteen. Yeah. You know? Anyway, well, because it's like that's like so much of my like a lot of the problems that persist into today, I think, are marked by the fact that like I consider what happened to me during my teenage years irreversible damage. You know. Like, that's the real irreversible damage is like being forced to go through a natal puberty that, like, doesn't, that you knew was wrong. And that's, that's what bothers me is I, is I knew, you know, like it maybe would have been easier for me to forgive myself if I was less cognizant and I was more confused. But, you know, like I was over my confusion, like, pretty well into my puberty, you know, like, I was confused at first when it started, but like you, you sorted know, things out like really quickly. I wouldn't say I figured it out quickly. I think I just learned quickly, and so it gave me comparatively more time to figure it out. But like, you know, I was like fifteen by the time I like would have fully said out loud that I wanted to be put on puberty blockers. But I was twenty by the first time I like until I got on HRT. And that was, like, five years I had to spend, like, watching things happen to me that couldn't be undone. And that coupled with, I think, suffering from a chronic illness, like, it just gave me such a sense that my body was always revolting against me. And that it was always, like, not of me and was something that I hated and wanted to suffer. Because, you know, it made me suffer. And so that enabled a lot of my, like, anorexia and a lot of my, like, compulsive self-harm because, like, it felt like it was a way to cope with, like, what was happening to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I guess let's let's kind of keep moving through time yeah, for sure. <laughs> um so you, you have this sort of like conversation with your father does that precipitate like then a kind of more 
more serious, more like uh does does that precipitate like further transition for you? Like Yeah, I mean I think when I came out to my father, that was the point in time in which I was like, everything's out in the open. I don't give a shit about what my father thinks of me anymore. Well, I mean I did, but like you know, I, I did in like a internalized sexual complex way, not in like I'm going to not go on HRT because of him way. And so at that point, I really started to pursue, like, medical transition. And, you know, I, like, got myself on HRT. Like, it took kind of a while because I was doing it from South Carolina, so I didn't have as much resources. But eventually I did it. And that was when I was in college. And so I enjoyed a lot more freedom, to be honest, because I wasn't living with my parents anymore. And I didn't have to change out of my clothes before I got home and even if I didn't like you know like my father had a weird sort of like I don't like that you're doing this but I'm not going to well no that's not true when I first came out my dad was like I don't want to see you in women's clothes ever but that kind of softened like kind of without having to talk about it it softened I think just because like it started to transition more and like it started to like like you know like it started to become unavoidable that I had to wear a bra around my father because like I had yes. like yeah. so like there was like a degree of like it just was more not like I think I took the path of least resistance around him and in general I think I often took the path of least, a path of least resistance in my life which is to say that like I fell into trans identity in a way that I felt was very like natural for me because it was like like you know like before I realized I was trans it was more just like I want a way to stay feminine forever and it was like oh being a woman is a way to stay feminine forever like it the like neurons didn't connect at first yeah right it, it takes a minute to sort of <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> but um yeah, and I mean, at that point, really, I guess is where I consider my, like, adult life to have started, because, you know, I was in college, and I was having fun, and, you know, at that point, I would consider myself, like, fully out as a trans woman, and then a couple of years happened, and then now it's now. <laughs> well, actually, a lot more stuff happened between them, which we should probably talk about, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, okay, like, what exactly happened between... What, what happened so, between then and then? Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is kind of what, at least when we were talking before, we wanted to, like, bring up on the podcast was, like, a lot of my teenage years were marked by the desire to transition, but I was barred from it to a certain extent. You know, like, I was able to socially transition halfway, and I was able to, like, starve myself enough to inhibit androgens to a certain extent but like I never was really like fully devoted like 100% on the transition train like let's go until I was I guess what I would consider an adult and then once I got on the transition train that sounds like a very weird children's show um like I think I ran into some complicated feelings because like 
I think as my transition got further and further into the years, a lot of the things that were dormant for a while sort of got a lot worse. And I started like, you know, like my dysphoria went away almost completely, but it was replaced by a even worse form of dysmorphia. And so now I just like extremely dysmorphic and like, I suppose unsatisfied because I think I don't feel as if I'm successful in my transition. Like I'm successful in the sense that I guess my external discomfort with my social role went away, but my internal comfort, my internal discomfort has only gotten worse. I don't know. Your your internal discomfort in, in what sense? Like in a dysmorphic sense and like a, cause you know, like when I started transitioning fully, like my anorexia got a little better after I came out to my dad and was able to like have a bit more freedom to start like dressing how I wanted wherever and like exert more control over my body. And I think that in my mind, it was like the second I get on HRT, you know, I'm never going to restrict again. Like, this is not going to be something that's going to affect me because it's like, I don't need to be skinny to be feminine. HRT will make me feminine. And then I got on HRT and I didn't feel very feminine. And I didn't feel like it changed anything. And, you know, in my objective brain, it did. But in my subjective, very, like, OCD compulsive brain, a lot of my rituals started getting worse because it started to feel like there was no excuse, you know? Like when I was younger, it was always, I look masculine, but that's fine because I can still get on HRT and then I'll be really cute and feminine. And then now that I'm on it, I mean, it's been a while, but like, there's nothing for me to hide behind. And so my dysmorphia got a lot worse and I fell back into disordered eating and because it started to become, it, it started to become less of a way of controlling my body and more of a way of harming myself. Because like, you know, I'd still internalized all those things. I was still pretty compulsively like applying Blanchard to myself. I was still pretty compulsively like internalizing a lot of the things my father has told me, which were pretty basic libertarian straw man arguments against trans people. But like, you know, that, that really got to me because I was, you know, when I was like 15, my father is like, you'll never be a real woman. And I really, I really think that, you know, and like, it gets to a point where like, how do I say this? The more my body changes, the more dysmorphic I become, because I think it feels like less and less people start to believe me, you know, like, I still think I'm really masculine and I still think I'm like deeply male and like it was easier for me to reinstantiate that when I was younger because I would get gendered male but like that doesn't happen to me anymore and so it feels like it's just like a conspiracy that only I am a believer of and the conspiracy is that like I am super masculine and super fat and super whatever like all the like dysmorphic terms but like, because fewer and fewer people are believing me now, it gets more and more potent in terms of like how I devote myself to it 
to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Sorry, I don't mean to just like no, therapy. And like we can talk about like how I conceive of gender or something too. <laughs> well, no, I guess I'm fewer and fewer people believe you with respect to what? Like what don't people believe about you? I'm masculine. Like, you know, like I still think You're certain things about myself that I think other people don't believe. And- Right. There's like a sort of, I mean, there's like a sort of like psychological, like, uh, I think that like we as like humans tend to do better when we have like some kind of agreement with other people. Uh, Like when you're able to like sort of like say something and other people are like, oh yeah. And I guess that there's, I mean, it's obviously also like psychologically damaging insofar as like, I don't know, like it sounds like you're dysmorphia, like. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like sort of like, I mean, it, it, it is, it's, it's, I mean, I guess this is like what dysmorphia is, right? It's like, it's like a play on your insecurities, right? It's like. Yeah. And I mean, um, for me, or sorry. No, 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 no. What were you going to say? I was just going to say for me, my dysmorphia was really um, hand in hand with the fact that my OCD was getting a lot worse around this time. Mm-hmm. And I really started to develop like compulsive rituals around essentially like cleansing myself of masculinity which I always did that you know but it it got worse because the rituals weren't flip a light 15 times they were stay under a thousand calories you know they were like like physical self-harm and so it was like a way for me to I guess feel as if I'm justified because I mean that's like the part that's hard is I think that transition has worked for me in as much as like I remember very vividly what it's like to feel dysphoric Mm. and to feel as if I'm being placed into a role that does not fit me and I don't feel that anymore at all really but arguably dysmorphia is worse because then you're telling yourself that you don't deserve to be in that role. And then you're telling, like, you start telling yourself that everyone is lying to you about you being in that role. And that, like, everyone is either secretly pitying you or somehow, like, humoring you in assigning you this role. And it's like, it's almost like you. You like you you got what you really wanted, but you don't even get to enjoy it because the, like the process of getting there made me really dysmorphic and like made me really insecure. I guess just because I guess I also did it in the shadow of my father, who was like has become more of a symbol in my mind for like the things I tell myself about how I, how I am. Okay. And how does that, how how does that affect your, your life presently? Like, I mean, does it, is it like, I mean, I guess it obviously does, right? Insofar as like, we were talking about it, these are all things that you feel. I guess does this 
yeah, like how how does this affect you? Um, I mean, it affects me in the way that I think any like person would feel affected by this in a way that like really doesn't have to do with like being trans. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> It's like, how do I say this? I mean, I, you know, it, it affects me in that, like, I spend forever, like, body checking in the mirror. I break down if someone takes a candid photo of me. I, like, have all the pretty standard, like, symptoms of that kind of compulsive, like, dysmorphia slash, like, eating disorder, I, I've honestly, I've done a lot better with eating, and I'm pretty proud of the progress I've made with that, but, um, I mean, it affects my life emotionally pretty heavily, yeah. but I think it honestly, to tie it into a better strain of thought for the show, other than just listening to me complain, I think that, like, it has affected my gender somewhat, because I, I do think of my gender as really, really, like, strongly bound to like compulsion and and aspiration towards I suppose perfection or the feminine ideal which is to say that like I feel like my gender is like partially informed by always feeling as if I'm not enough and that like that sort of like striving and like meticulous work is a lot of how I perform gender maybe I don't know if that's how it comes off to others but that's definitely how I experience it I mean maybe I mean, it's because of the sort of like context in which we've like met each other but I yeah does, for sure <laughs> right which I mean like for the audience is like a, a group chat that um I guess sort of like striving and perfection and things like that are um, common themes there. Um, so, but but I, I guess I don't know. Like, do you do you imagine that there's like an off ramp for you? Like, is there like maybe not like an off ramp from like you know the, these sorts of behaviors aren't um, they're they're deep, right? Like they're psychologically deep. They're like. Uh, you know, the, 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 it's hard to sort of just like entirely excavate them. But like, I don't know. Do you do you have hope of like pu putting them into something else, or like making them into like something that's like better for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that really the offer up is exposure response prevention. But like, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. But like, I think that. I mean, that's a good question. Part of why I think going on the off-ramp is hard is it's like, how much of me is left? You know? Like, if I remove compulsion, how much of my, like, identity is left? Because, you know, it's been there since the beginning. I was flicking lights on and off to not grow up to be a man, you know, when I was really young. And so it's something that I'm kind of afraid to leave. But also it's like, I mean, it's obviously something that makes me worse off, you know, like I, 
I'm attached to it in a very unhealthy way. So I guess the off-ramp is like the same off-ramp you've had for like... I don't know if it's my place to call it an abusive relationship with myself, but like, pretty similar off-ramp, you know? Like, I think I need to spend some time apart from myself. <laughs> Wait, did you say that it was the same off-ramp that I had, or...? Oh no, I meant like the same off-ramp as like... Like, how do I say this? Like, it often feels like I'm in an unhealthy relationship with myself. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the off-ramp is like the same off-ramp you have for like an interpersonal relationship in which someone was actively harming you. Which, I mean, part, really the off-ramp is like getting over my complex about my father, you know? Because all of my insecurities are things that he said to me. And if I can just, like, get over that, I think I could maybe be happy, question mark, hopefully. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that you could. I, it seems plausible to me, and I, I certainly hope that, hope that it is. Um, yeah, and I don't mean to be depressing. I don't know. I feel like I, there are a lot of things about gender that are not upsetting for me and like I think that I talk big game about like I guess hating myself but I don't think that that always translates you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean I hope that I hope that you are able to find something that makes you um happier or enables you to to do things better yeah i mean i think this might be a good way to bridge into um what we were talking about before not before the podcast like before we were even on the podcast about like my feelings about salome and like why i sometimes relate to that arc of like you know the detransitioner who can't detransition or like the i guess eunuch slash failed woman archetype like that appeals to me in a certain way and like I don't know I like I feel like you're gonna talk about that for a certain period of time yeah I mean we 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 certainly can I guess um I don't know how much context we should provide the audience um for this this sort of conversation but um this this is I guess like Audrey and I both know of um well i i was supposed to record an episode with her and then it's sort of um it we we started recording and then she she backed out for um a couple different reasons which are ultimately her own but um salome is a uh well not a trans woman very sort of like explicitly um but is a person who you know sort of was assigned male at birth and takes estrogen and lives pr- primarily as a woman, um, but is also sort of like very involved in like I guess what you would call like the 2022 version of like the alt right. Like I, I, I think that the sort of um, most of the people in that scene would sort of like disdain that uh, identification, but they're they are sort of you know like politically reactionary and like. Um, 
I mean, like, Salome's particular, like, uh, sort of streak is, like, a sort of traditionalist Catholic uh, lifestyle, I suppose. Um, I don't know. But, <laughs> right, but, but I mean, like, the, the, I guess, like, the, the sort of, like, core of it that, like, we're interested in, right, is this sort of, like, sort of, like impulse of being, like, um, I don't know, like, sh she believes that she's living in sin, right? That she's, like, you know, that taking estrogen and like sort of you know cross-dressing and all this stuff is, is is bad but at the same time she's um not stopping um right and like yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i don't know audrey you 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 probably can say better like what exactly is is going on that sort of is like i guess like reflective of your of your situation or your your or is like why you find her like a sort of like tragic figure um or, or whatnot rather than just like completely loathsome yeah i mean i i don't fully feel comfortable diagnosing her but i think yeah because i i mean i do respect her as a person to some extent but i also think i just i relate to that mindset of like, you know, like it kind of makes my skin crawl for me to say that I'm a woman because like, I mean, I, you know, I want to be, but I don't think I've earned that yet. And I don't know if that's something I'll ever earn. And so that mindset of like, I think we were both somewhat she says push, but I think that denies a certain degree of agency that we both had in the process. But I think we were both led, fallen into ourselves, a path that really had no other end than transition. You know, like there was no other way for me to, as a child, be like, I would like to stay feminine forever and not transition, other than be extremely unhappy for the rest of my life. But I think that like, at least for me, a lot of my dissatisfaction right now has to do with like crucial ways in which I feel as if I failed to become a woman, which are very like, I guess, rooted in both transphobia, but also to a certain extent, maybe misogyny, because like, you know, there's the ways that are dictated upon me by the older men in my life. And it's really older men, like my father, plant hard like all those people you know I don't mean to equate sorry I'm not gonna address that one but <laughs> like you know where should I go with this like I think that that position of striving for but not arriving at marks how I conceive of my identity as well and I'm Jewish, I do not consider myself Christian, and I definitely do not care about sin, so I don't codify it that way, but I do often consider myself, you know, at my worst, a cross-dresser, but, like, even at my best, like, there are some things that I don't feel comfortable inserting myself into, because I feel as if I haven't, like, obtained a certain like sacred essence which like i think salome also understands which is to say that like there's a difference between looking like a woman and being a woman and that difference 
is really located in being treated like a woman, but I think it's a trap that mostly anorexic slash compulsive people fall into, where they idolize a certain center of womanhood. And I've talked to trans women who have done this before, but like, I don't know. How do I say this? I think that like, it's attractive to be located in a place in which you're eternally like, sorry, in which you're like eternally striving for something you know you'll never have. And that that, it's almost martyrdom, it's almost Christ-like, but in that perseverance, you know, it's, it's, it's viewing gender in a very anorexic way. You know, that like being a woman is being thin. It's something you'll never be, but you always have to try. And that trying is something that will hurt you. And that trying is something that is like, is against the order, which is to say that like naturally you do not need this and you are going against what your body wants to do this, but doing it is like your mission. That's like who you are as a person. And so I think that I guess I feel dissatisfied with transition in a very similar way that I think Salome feels dissatisfied with transition, which is to say that like, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't work, which is a very neurotic way of saying that like, I didn't become a woman in like essence, which talking about essence in and of itself is like, you know, it's not real. This is not something that actually exists. This is a construction that is reinforced by a bunch of misogynists, you know, that like enters basically. And like the, that being a woman that will never happen is something you will wait the rest of your, the rest of your life to have happen to you. But like, I don't know. It's a really good way for you to punish yourself. And it's a really good way for you to feel as if, even though, you know, people don't refer to you with he, him pronouns, or you can have a boyfriend, or you can, like, function as a woman socially, like, you feel you don't belong. And that belonging is rooted in, I guess, like, I mean, if you're really diagnosing, like, yeah, it's rooted in the transphobic socialization and, like, learning that that is what trans women are, but, like, I feel like there's something deeper and, like, more spiritual to it that has to do with, like, penance and, like, self-harm in, a, like, a devotational way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious to hear you, I, I guess, like, talk more about, like, the sort of, you, you mentioned misogyny a couple times in this, and I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I, 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 I guess I kind of want to hear you say more about that and sort of, like, what specifically you're talking about there. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's a big neurosis for me, which is to say that, like, mm, I mean, this could potentially be tricky, but, like, Okay. Part of, like, in my very bad, disordered OCD brain, I make connections like, I can't give birth. I can't bring life into the world. Enter transphobic socialization. One, like, 
that is the essence of like conceiving of womanhood as something that is bountiful and that is giving and that is like like it's not defined by the feminine lack or like the psychoanalytic state of like receiving but because I can't do that I'm almost like barred from a certain type of feminism and so I feel like because I can't do that my purpose as a woman is essentially to receive violence and that that manifests in compulsions about like exposing myself to sexual violence and like you know I like posted my news on 4chan or like like went with people on Grinder and like you know like you want someone to hurt you and you want them to be a man because like that essence of like receiving violence from men is the only part of being a woman that you can successfully perform or at least that's how you think of yourself and that that is such a misogynistic viewpoint you take towards yourself but because you feel as if you're biologically barred from other aspects of it like feminism almost doesn't apply to you you know like I have these crazy moments where I'm just like I consider myself a girly outspoken feminist and like would support any of my friends trans or cis like in any sort of like empowerment but like I'm just like up at night like am I a slut like it's so like it's so like basic and it's so like you know like I'm like wow a queen like go off like fourth wave feminist queen and then when I'm like in bed I'm like well, man, I never want to marry me because my body is sullied. Like, it's so reductionist. But it's because that I think that, like, we see ourselves as apart from womanhood in a way that is, like, biological. It allows us to almost feel justified in enacting misogyny onto ourselves as really just a justification of self-harm, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I... I... These are all neuroses that are not um, like unfamiliar to me. Um, and I consider myself, it's like, I don't know. I think that like in part, like my, you know, getting over them has been a like, it's been a project that I've had to engage with, with other people. And a lot of it really has just been like luck that like I've run into people whose experiences have like, meshed with mine in a way to produce like a situation where like I kind of had to I had to give up those neuroses or else I'd be forced into like something worse um but I don't know yeah like I don't I don't know how to like replicate that for another person's life I don't know how to give that to another person um, yeah and I mean I, I also have seen other people with this sort of sentiment and it's like you know it's very common on 4chan and like, yeah. I didn't grow up there. I'm not, I'm not from there, but I do <laughs> understand like the, you know, the side of 4chan that's like, oh, like I got a nice boyfriend and he like keeps wanting to be nice to me. How can I get him to hurt me? And like, yeah. it's tragic, but I get it. And I understand why they're feeling like that. But at least for me, the way out of those kinds of feelings has been like, it's so childish, you know? It's really not childish. It's very like adolescent because I think that women grow up with this too, but often trans women do it from a place of sheltered, like, it's such a loaded word to say privilege, but in this specific context, privilege 
because like, how do I say this? I think unless you've transitioned really young, like that very specific strain of misogynist sexual violence is an idea to you, you know? It's a reality to the 15-year-old cis women who are like raped and harassed. Like, I don't mean to be like so vulgar, but like, I've just, that's really what bothers me about that part of like the internet and that part of like, I guess largely like online trans women, like, or like implementing sexual violence in their self-hate. And I had a phase of that too, you know, like I was really into that for a while, but I think my way out has been like, you know, like who does this serve? Like, I know that it's under the assumption of like, oh, I don't like myself, but like, that's not a justification. That's not an excuse. And that's why I say it's misogynist is that like, you know, like what are the women around you thinking when you say those things about yourself? What are the women around you who have been through things like that? Like feeling when you incur them upon yourself in a way that is largely controlled, you know? Like maybe you're really masochist about it and like you do incur uncontrolled dangerous situations. You know, like I've been guilty of it a couple times, but largely it hasn't been like that you know? And there's always an underpinning of control. And that underpinning of control, I won't say is like male privilege because that's stupid, but like it does come from a position of power. And you have to have once been powerful to relinquish it, you know? And that, that's been the off-ramp for me. It's like, like who's benefiting from this? You know, like the man who fucks you does it all the same, you know, like he doesn't care that you hate yourself. He just wants to be violent to you. It doesn't matter to him. Like it's the same thing. So what are you reproducing? Like consciously investigate what systems of oppression you're playing into. Even if you want to play into them as a way to hurt yourself, like respectfully, there are better, less socially interdependent ways to do that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I understand that. I, I, I really do understand that. I think, um, yeah, I mean, no, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, this is like a thing that I've been thinking about for, um, a while, but I think like, especially like the last 48 hours, um, I guess, I don't know, um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly how much I want to get into it on here, but right, like, I guess it, it like, it, like, it, this all feels like kind of related to, um, I was talking about like sort of yesterday, like the sort of like aspirational HSTSification. Yeah, for real. Right. Um, and like the fact that like that's just like fucking gross. Like that's gross. Like there's there's no other way about it. Like no, that's like yeah. Like it's like I don't know. Like like say any of those things about your like about like someone that you actually care about, like your friend or something. Oh yeah, then, for like, sure. <laughs> And then, like, ask yourself, like, okay, like, what am I, like, doing? And it's not just, like, I mean, we, we, we do, like, run into this, like, sort of thing where it's, like, this idea of, like, you know, sort of, like, having these, like, standards, like, only for yourself, you know? Um, like, that's, like, kind of bullshit. Like, you have to, like, run into a point of, 
No, for real. It's a point that it's like we 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 live in a fucking society, right? Like we're all social. Absolutely, yeah. And like, um, it's really good point. <laughs> right, and it's like the things that like you do are like, you know, like I think about like um a friend of ours who's like been who struggled with like an eating disorder for like over like half their life at this point and like the ways in which like you know they've talked about their mother like you know never like explicitly putting that stuff on them but like their mother like also like eating in like a disordered fashion and like them noticing that it's like people aren't like fucking idiots like we know what each other are doing like I can look at someone and be like oh I get it like I understand like what's going on in your head yeah, of course. Um, and like, yeah, it, it's 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 just like it's 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 bad for you. It's bad for everyone. It's bad for all of us. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, yeah. it's a sort of similar situation. Like, you know, most of my, I guess, like, oh my god, sorry. <laughs> most of, I guess, my like transphobic personality traits. Where you know they came from my father, and I had a period of my life where I was like, you know, I think all these terrible things about myself, but I don't think those things about any of you, and like that's such a that's such a like that's such an anorexic way to think is that like you know like I'm fat and that makes me disgusting, but oh I I don't think that about any of my fat friends like, but you're right. There's a certain point where you just have to like take responsibility for the fact that like people are interdependent. And what you think about yourself has consequences for people that aren't you. And, like, not even in just the meme of, like, oh, what will your, like, friend think when they hear you? But, like, you know, like, the way in which you internalize your thinking about yourself inevitably affects how you treat other people. Yeah. And that's something that I think has really been something that I've, like, really struggled with and, like, have had to work on is, like, you know, like, that's, I don't want to become like a Salome type person like I don't want I have I want to love other people and like I want to like I don't want to think those things about other people but it's 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 also hard for me because I come from an OCD perspective and I think terrible things about everyone because I have a compulsive disorder you know and I have so many intrusive thoughts that like aren't me but it's so hard to separate the actual thoughts from the intrusive thoughts and like you get to a point where it's just like so terrifying to open your mouth because you don't realize if something you're going to say is like messed up or not just because like, you know, like it's in this like huge deluge of like other things. There's just like so many thoughts going on in my head that like it's hard for me to figure out which of my like feelings are real and are actually just like how I view the world versus which of my feelings are like ways I talk about myself that are designed to intentionally be circular and only live in my head. And it's like, I mean, and, and like, I guess like, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't have OCD. I guess I can't, you know, exactly um, understand, I guess, like in a, in a perfect way, like what it's like to have to deal with that. Um. But I, I mean, like, I, I presume, I, I know, I guess, that, like, you know, oh, just, like, do it differently is not, like, a solution. Because, like, if it were that simple, like, you would have done it by now, right? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because I think OCD enables these kinds of thought processes in a way that can be very potent because OCD thrives off of like the feeling of wrongness or like forbiddenness you know like if you think something is really bad and you shouldn't say it that makes it all the more powerful in the eyes of your OCD which is to say that like it's very the more you push it down the harder it becomes to keep it from coming up and so I have a very like conflicted like subconscious I guess just because like you know like I can't I can't repress anything. I have to think about everything. And that's maybe why it was so agonizing for me to have like been in the closet for so long is that like, I am not the type of person who can forget about something. I am not the type of person who can like leave a thought alone. I perseverated on that for years of my life. And like that makes it so like potent. Sorry. And like, like a like a weed, I guess. I don't know. Like it like thrives on like neglect. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I understand that. Um yeah, Jesus. Sorry, I feel like I have done very little talking about my gender and like mostly talking about my life. <laughs> no, I mean like I mean that's that's like right the idea is like I don't know, at least that's that's my that's how I think about this, like <laughs> right. Um Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, that's like the the, the point of all this, right? Um mm -hmm. Yeah, fuck, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. We've been, we've been going at this for like over an hour and a half now. Um Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Wow. I told you I'd like get going once you started. <laughs> no, but it's it's been it's been really good, honestly. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I of think course. it's um it's valuable, I guess. I don't know if um as we sort of like wind down, um, if we have any like sort of final thoughts or or things we want to address before we close out. Um, I guess if anyone else thinks like this, it sounds stupid to say you're not alone, but like you're not. Because I think that's really been helpful for me is like, I grew up so isolated, you know? Like, I was the first trans person I knew for a very long time. And that messes you up, honestly. So I really think oftentimes the answer to those sorts of things is really just, like, being in community with people who value you. Because, like, they don't even have to be trans. Like, in fact, oftentimes it helps if they aren't. Because, God, trans women do this thing where they like mirror each other's insecurities onto each other and they project it and it bothers me. Like, but I found that like, you know, like, I mean, all I've ever really wanted to do is integrate. And I found that that pleasure 
is no less sweet despite all these things. You know, if I get rare moments where I like feel okay enough about my body to like put on a swimsuit and go to the beach with my friends, like when I was young, I would have never thought that I would be in a place like that. You know, like uh -huh. I went, like I had a lot of fun this summer, just like hanging out with my friends. And like, if you told me when I was 14, that when I was 22, I would be wearing a bikini on the beach with my friends and they would all be cis girls and we would all be having fun. I would have been elated. And I lose sight of that perspective sometimes, I think. So I guess that's where I would end it is like, you know, find community with other people and yeah. Don't neglect how much, how much progress you've made, even if you feel like you're not working towards anything, or if the, the path you're on is endless, or if you think that it ends in a place you don't want to be. If you want to progress, like, sometimes there's nothing more meaningful than being able to do that for yourself. You know? Yeah. Like, make that progress anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I sort of said, I think that, like, um, I don't, I don't know exactly how to like replicate the conditions, but like the things that broke me out of all this was like, yeah, like making connections where it became, remaining with my neuroses became a worse option than like, oh yeah, for sure, just getting over them because if I remained with them, like, they would affect people that I loved in a way that was not acceptable to me and. You know, there, there's there's no way to sort of like, I guess, like, I can't like recreate that, but you do have to sort of, I guess, like, if you if you remain open, I guess, long enough, I think that 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 that, that comes to you, that people come to you and you'll find something that works. Well, that's like the prevailing okay. knowledge is like, you know, like the archetype on 4chan of like BDD passoid or whatever, like, you know, the the environment there encourages self-hatred in fact it's almost intentionally designed for self-hatred but this like the second they notice you're going too far which is often with some people and like you know i've had people be like that towards me they're like oh we'll just go outside you know like it's not that deep like get a boyfriend like it's fine mm -hmm. and i think at the end of the day they're being really dismissive about something that they helped create but the advice isn't totally wrong which yeah. Is like, you know, like I say all these things about like, I'm never going to reach a place in which I'm happy about myself, or like, womanhood is an, is an impossibility for me. But so much of what I wanted is here. I can wake up every day and go outside and function as a 22 year old girl. Like, I would have never imagined that when I was younger. And if you had told me that that would be my life, I would be content when I was that young. And so sometimes the answer really is to just like touch grass, you know? I mean, it's, it's facetious, but sometimes touching grass puts you in situations in which it is more harmful to continue to prop up your neuroses than to just abandon them, even though it's scary. Right. Yeah.
And I think that's... Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I also do think, like, obviously this isn't for everyone, but I feel like this type of problem usually afflicts binary trans women. Like, integration really helps, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't... If you say that in front of yourself, in front of a group of, like, cis girls, they're like, what? The fuck? Like, what? (laughs) Like, imagine. Because it's so, it's so obvious. You know, when you put it in a different context, it's so obvious where the holes in your argument lie. But when you're with a bunch of trans women who also feel that same pain, like, it can become very easy to perseverate on things that don't need to be perseverated on, or in fact, like, aren't as logically sound as you thought they were, or predicated on logic that is, like, misogynistic and harmful. Like, you know, you can only feed the little, like, older male father figure who lives in your head for so long. I guess that's why I say so much to my neuroses are just like an unresolved electro complex. Like that affects me a lot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's as good a place to leave it as any. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your life with us, Audrey. Um, Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And thank you so much to the audience for listening. Um, As always, follow us on Twitter. Donate to the Ko-fi if you're so inclined. Um, We're... I've I've been talking about doing, like, a listener, like, a listener mail show or something, but I think I might actually try to do, like, a like a live like Twitter space where people can like join and ask questions and it has like the functionality to record it so I can record it and release it afterwards as an episode. Um, So viewer caller function or something. Yeah, it's like the sort of idea like do kind of like maybe like many like uh, people can just like give me like a 10 minute thing like what their what their deal is and I can ask some questions and then we can move through a couple people like that. Um, Gender field work. Yeah. Field observations. <laughs> yes. But um, so I guess like keep your eyes peeled for, for that. That'll probably be something I start talking about on the Twitter account and try to figure out like a time and date to do it. But um, yeah, thank you as always. I mean, yeah, thank, thank you to everyone. Um, and thank you to Audrey. And, uh, thank you guys. Bye. 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 I don't. Are you supposed to say bye at the?